It is a blessing to see all of you this morning, and uh, we have a special time planned around the Lord's table this morning. And so I'm so grateful that you're here to worship our blessed Savior. And we welcome those of you that are online, and we trust that you also will get some elements where you are at in your home or elsewhere, and join us in just a few moments <clears throat> as we partake of the Lord's Supper together. Many years ago, I heard this statement, we never get closer to the heart of Christian worship than when we partake of communion. And when I heard that statement, I instinctively knew that it was absolutely true as soon as I heard it. Communion is the very heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the gospel is the heart of Christianity. One of the great theologians in American history was a man by the name of Archibald Alexander. He was the very first professor who was appointed by Princeton Seminary when it was a biblical seminary designed to train pastors. And on his deathbed, Dr. Alexander said this to a friend, all my theology is reduced to this narrow compass Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And he was absolutely right. That is the heart of the gospel, it is the heart of all Christian worship, and it is the heart of communion. Now today, before we partake together as the people of God in communion, I want to examine a text that explains the heart of the gospel. It is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, and I'd like you to take your Bibles uh, in whatever format you have them this morning, and let's turn there and see what the Apostle Peter says to us about Christ and the very heart of the gospel that we believe and proclaim. And please follow along as I read verses 24 and 25 of 1 Peter chapter 2 and listen to what Peter says about Christ. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls." Now, Peter here tells us that the gospel has two parts, two sides, if you will. First, Christ bore our sins, giving us freedom from guilt. And secondly, Christ broke our sins, giving us freedom from bondage. Here are the two sides to the gospel. Christ bore our sins, giving us freedom from guilt. And Christ broke our sins, giving us freedom from bondage if we know him by repentance and faith. Now both of those are true, but in our witnessing and our sharing the gospel, we often emphasize the first and we neglect the second. We emphasize freedom from guilt, but we tend not to as much emphasize freedom from bondage, but the gospel emphasizes both. Sometimes we'll get into conversations about the full gospel, and we ask this question, what is the full gospel? Well, Paul tells us in Romans 6 that Christ died to sin as well as for sin. And I want you to notice here, Peter says the very same thing. 
He says Christ bore our sins in his body on the tree. That's dying for sins. But then notice, he says, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So Jesus' death accomplished both. He removed the guilt of sin, but he also broke the bondage of sin. There was a very well-known pastor many years ago from Scotland by the name of George MacDonald. He had an influence on C.S. Lewis. Though C.S. Lewis never met him personally, his influence on him was so great that Lewis called him my master. That's how he referred to him. And I want you to listen to what Pastor MacDonald said. Christ died to save us not from suffering, but from ourselves. He died that we might live, but live as he lives, by dying as he died, who died to himself, that he might live unto God. If we do not die to ourselves, we cannot live to God, and he that does not live to God is dead. You see, to be saved is to live to God. And when we are saved and Christ comes into our lives, one of the things that we instinctively begin to realize is we have a new power we didn't have before. I remember as a teenager, I've said this several times from the pulpit, when I was saved, I knew instinctively I'm different. There's a new power that has entered my life. And the reason that we feel that way is Peter says here, by his wounds you have been healed. You see, in salvation, Christ begins and then he continues this work of restoring us to wholeness. Peter calls that wholeness healing. He says it's a healing. You've been uh, healed by his wounds. It is the freedom from the bondage of sin and then a progressive growth that takes place as we become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, now let's look at the first side of the gospel here this morning. Let's look at what Peter focuses on first, and that is freedom from guilt. Freedom from guilt. If you are like me this morning, you have sinned in ways that you are ashamed of. If not indeed, certainly in thought, and certainly in word. And we have to ask this question this morning, how do you live with your guilt? How do I live with my guilt? How do we have peace when our conscience troubles us over the shame of our sins? Look at Peter's answer. Here's the answer. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That's how we live with our guilt. If I didn't know I was forgiven this morning, I would leave this pulpit immediately. 
The only reason that I can stand in this place is I know I'm forgiven. It's the only reason. And Peter here, in this wonderful passage, gives us the glorious truths about the death of Jesus that makes forgiveness available. And let's spend a few time, a few moments just glorying in them before we partake of communion, okay? First of all, Peter says this, Jesus died for us voluntarily. Jesus died for us voluntarily. Peter says, he himself in his body. He himself in his body, he died for us voluntarily. These two pronouns that start verse 24, he himself, are at the front of the sentence to give us emphasis. When you see two pronouns like this, he himself, it is to give us emphasis. And there are two things here that Peter is emphasizing. Number one, Jesus alone was adequate to pay the price of sin. He himself Jesus alone was adequate to pay the price of sin. He had to be human to represent us. And he had to be God to represent all of us. He had to be the God-man. So he alone could pay the price of sin. There was a Christian businessman by the name of Fred Smith, and he was a very influential leader. And this is what he said, If Christ is only an example, nobody needs him. But if he is a sacrifice, everybody needs him. And that is exactly right. He is the only sacrifice for sin. He himself. But then the second thing these two pronouns emphasize is Jesus gave his life for us voluntarily of his own accord. He, him, Self. In John 10, verses 17 and 18, Jesus said this, No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up. I have received this from my Father. In fact, he said, For this reason the Father loves me. When you give yourself voluntarily for someone else, there's one reason you do that. And it's because of love. I had an uncle who had only one kidney. And the reason he had only one kidney is he donated his other kidney to a person who would have died had they not gotten that kidney. And you don't have to ask why my uncle would do that. It was because of love. Here's what the Bible says in 1 John 4.10, and this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and send his son to be the satisfaction for our sins. This is why we often hear people will say the cross of Jesus Christ is the supreme evidence of the love of God. Because when we look at the cross, it is there the heart of God is exhibited and shown to us, and it is a heart of love. 
If there was no other evidence that you had or that I have that God loves us, the cross of Christ alone is overwhelming evidence that God loves you and he loves me. Adam Robinson often used to say this. He said, we know at the heart of the universe there is ultimate power. We all know that. We look around at the things that are made and we recognize an all-powerful being made these things. But he said the question we have in a sinful, troubled, difficult world is, is there ultimate love at the heart of the universe? That's the question we have. And when we look at the cross and see that Jesus went there voluntarily and we know he went there for love, it answers the question. At the heart of the universe is not only ultimate power, but an ultimate loving God. Jesus died for us voluntarily. Here's the second glorious truth that Peter shares with us. Jesus died for us vicariously. Jesus died for us vicariously. Peter says he bore our sins. The word vicar means change, alternation, substitute. When we say that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was a vicarious sacrifice, what we mean is he died as our substitute. He died in our place. Uh, This word bore here, he bore our sins, it means to carry as a sacrifice. To carry as a sacrifice. And the imagery that is here in Peter's mind comes from the scapegoat ceremony on the Day of Atonement. And you know the Day of Atonement is the most sacred day in the Jewish calendar. And in Leviticus chapter 16, here's what God instructed the high priest to do on the Day of Atonement. He would take a goat that was called the scapegoat. He would place his hands on the scapegoat and confess the sins of the people on that goat, and then he would send it off into the wilderness. Leviticus 16.22 says this, The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area. How many iniquities? All. All. But then another goat was sacrificed, Leviticus 16, 15. That goat was called the sin offering. So two goats were sacrificed, one sent away, excuse me, one sent away, the other sacrificed. So one goat died to pay for sin. The scapegoat was sent away to carry away sin. The Bible says Jesus did both. He carried our sins as our substitute. He removed our sins as our sacrifice. He died vicariously. I want you to notice a third glorious truth that Jesus did for us that Peter shares. Jesus died for us completely. He died for us completely. Did you notice that Peter says, 
He bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the tree. Please notice this morning, if you have any doubt as to whether your sin was included, this should resolve it this morning. We have to ask this question, why does Peter say he bore our sins in his body on the tree? Wouldn't we normally expect him to say on the cross? That's what we would expect. He bore our sins in his body on the cross, but Peter doesn't say that. He says he bore our sins in his body on the tree. Why the tree? Well, he is alluding to Deuteronomy chapter 21 in the last two verses. And I want you to turn there with me in your Bibles and notice these instructions given to Moses in Deuteronomy 21 that Peter is alluding to when he says Jesus died on a tree. Look at these words, Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 23. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Did you know that Jews did not crucify criminals? They carried out capital punishment by stoning, not by crucifixion. There are places in the Middle East today where people still are stoned to death, but the Jews never did that. But if a criminal was especially evil, his body was hung on a tree after he was dead until evening. But the body was not to be left overnight because the deed that he had committed was so shameful that if the body hung on the tree overnight, it would defile the land. Now follow this. Jesus was hung on a what? A tree. He bore the shame of the lowest sin. Let that sink in. He bore the shame of the lowest sin. No matter how deep you have sunk in sin, Jesus bore it for you. No matter how defiled you may feel today, He can forgive you. No matter how heavy the weight of the sin that you carry, He carried it for you. 
He died voluntarily. He died vicariously. He died completely to take away your guilt. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. I read this week about a Christian restaurant owner by the name of Emil Mettler. And one day as Emil in his restaurant was cashing out a customer, the customer noticed in the cash register drawer, along with the bills and the coins, there was a six inch long nail. And surprised to see a nail of that size in a cash register at a restaurant, the customer said to Emil, what's that nail doing in there? And here's what Emil said, I keep this nail with my money to remind me of the price that Christ paid for my salvation and of what I owe him in return. Jesus didn't leave us a six-inch nail, but he left us the bread and the cup to remind us of the price he paid for our salvation and the obedience we owe him in return. And that's what communion is all about. Let's bow our hearts together, shall we, in prayer. And let's thank the Lord. Gracious Father, thank you so much for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you that Jesus bore our sins to give us freedom from guilt. And thank you that Jesus broke our sins to give us freedom from bondage. Both are true. The guilt has been removed. A new power has been received. By his wounds, we have been healed. And he is continuing to heal us. And Lord, we were not present at the crucifixion. We did not see the nails pounded into his wrists and into his feet. We did not see the spear shoved into his side where water and blood mixed flowed out. 
we did not see the crown of thorns placed upon his brow. But Lord, we have the bread. We have the cup. And in our mind's eye, as we partake of the elements, we commune with the living Christ who died for us that we might be forgiven, who lives in us that we might obey. And so we thank you. We thank you. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.